The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pray that your grace may always precede and follow after us, that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You can be seated. Before I read, I just want to take a moment to pray for the uh, kids here today. We'll uh, return to our usual children's ministry programming next week, uh, but kids are in the service today. We're so thankful you all are here, so um, just join me in a moment as we pray for them. Father, we do thank you for the children of this church. We thank you for those who are with us participating in this worship service this morning. We just pray, Lord, that you would be speaking to them today, that each one would know themselves as your son, as your daughter, uh, be at work, we pray, Holy Spirit, in their lives. And may um, each one of us uh, continue to learn what it means um, to come to you and to enter the kingdom as a child. So we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We'll continue. <laughs> so you still get a blessing. Bless you, Audrey. <laughs> so, yeah, good. We'll continue with our readings. <laughs> A reading from Jeremiah. O Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. The word of the Lord. Well, New Testament reading this morning from the book of Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what, the will, what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, 
the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who act, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Morning, everybody. 9 a.m., so awake all the time. You get responses and things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the gift of your church and the gift of your word. And I ask that you um, speak to our hearts and minds now, that you draw us to yourself and um, give us strength for, our, for our, our day and our weeks to come. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so most of you know this summer we've been working through the book of Romans. We've been moving at a pretty brisk pace through it, but we still have gotten to have a lot of time to really explore how uh, God through Romans is really teaching us so much about his gospel. Uh, and today is our last day of this Romans series. I actually find it pretty amusing. I got to do the first sermon in the series, and now I get to do the last, which makes it like one big giant sermon sandwich. And I'm the bread, and it's gluten-free bread. So there you go. Anyway, we can leave the weirdness behind, and we're going to go back to our passage here. Uh, aside from being the last uh, passage of our series today, this actually, uh, Romans 12, it comes as a really key pivotal transition point uh, in the whole book of Romans. Uh, for the first 11 chapters of the book, again, that's where we've been until now, um, Paul there has been really primarily and very enthusiastically explaining the great gift of the gospel. He's been sharing the good news that though we were utterly lost in our sins, it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that God has freely bestowed his salvation on everyone who believes. And that salvation includes God's righteousness, union with Christ, adoption into God's family, and even God dwelling inside of us by his Holy Spirit. Even these last few chapters of the book we've been looking at before this, 9 through 11, uh, we see Paul um, in many ways struggling um, for his people, the Jewish people, who in so many ways were not turning to Christ. But even this, ultimately, has actually been about the wonder and mystery of God's work of mercy and his grace freely given to those who believe. Now, however, we come to a really important change. If the first part of the book was all about understanding the gospel for us, this part of the book is about that gospel working through us. We change from everything that God has done to all that is now being done, or even what we are doing, how we are living in response to the gospel. 
at least a decent number of commentators really like to talk about the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. That's the instruction. You know, do we understand all that God has done? Do we understand this gospel? And now the next three chapters are exhortation. Knowing what God has done, now we act accordingly. That's, of course, a simplification in many ways, but I think it's helpful. But before we explore that any further and move on in the text, I want to share a kind of a starting story here. So as a teenager, um, my first job, at least first job that had nothing to do with my parents, um, was in this small town clothing store. I grew up in Malacca, Minnesota. We had a store that was so old that my grandpa Bud had actually worked there as a young adult. And I got a job at this store uh, because it was currently being run by my best friend's dad. Uh, I'd known him since I was like five. Um, His name was Chris, and Chris was also the next youngest person working at this store. Um, So we had a pretty good time either way. But as the youngest, and and usually by far the most mobile of everyone on staff, I would often get the least desirable jobs. Um, One of those was always the big winter Carhartt order. Uh, somewhere near the end of summer, it was always way too early for what it was you're dealing with, winter things, um, we would get a very large shipment of boxes full of all the winter gear that we're having from Carhartt. And someone would have to go through all of that, uh, make sure everything was, you know, that we ordered was there, mark everything, store it away properly until it was going to be put out. And that someone was me. And the only workspace that really had room for all of this without being totally in the way of everybody else that was going on um, was the basement. The basement was very old, um, very dark, and actually very low, dangerous ceilings. I hit my head numerous times down there um, over the years, so it wasn't exactly my favorite place. Uh, But down I went, and for the better part of three days, I would work through this, you know, sort, count, tag, and store away this big Carhartt order. I remember um, specifically the first time I'd finished all of this, and I called Chris down to kind of check it out. And he just came and stood at the, the bottom step of the stairs. He had his coffee mug in one hand. He kind of just looked it over, smirked, and said, we did it. And, and I, th- I think we spent like, like 30 minutes at that point arguing about how it was that we did any of this work. You know, I was the one there for th- 33 days in the basement. But Chris, of course, talked about, well, I put in the order and priced things. And, you know, I trained you in your job. And I probably said, well, you didn't do a good job of any of it. Uh, and we went back and forth. It was a really nice time we had around that. Uh, but even then, as we're finished, of course, we go upstairs and Chris starts telling the others, well, we did the Carhartt order. So I didn't win that argument. But... So as I said, in today's passage, uh, it's the change in Romans from all that God has done for us to now what we do. But before we explore that any further, I think we really need to understand that the point here isn't that God did something for us once, now you go do things. The point isn't you pay God off now. We can't do that. We can never earn his grace and mercy. And the point is definitely not, you know, you do the work. So eventually God will check back in and say, we did it. Uh, foundational to everything Paul is going to call us to in this and, and other passages like it is that this is the ongoing work of God. The gospel isn't just the good news that Jesus died and we've been saved. It's the good news that even today we are being saved. It's the good news that um, God is still at work in us, even now to work out his salvation through us. The good news that God still does everything that matters, even though we have an added call that we get to join him in that work. But God does everything, and we do something. Really, I think we should imagine it more like we get to look back on our lives one day at everything God has done and say, hey, we did it. 
so as we get into our Romans passage today, we find there are here three key ways that we're meant to be joining God in his work in our lives. First, we're supposed to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Uh, second, we're to be transformed. And, and third, finally, we're to not only think rightly about ourselves, but we are then to act rightly in service of others. So let's look at verse one then. Paul begins uh, this section we have in really the next three chapters with this really strong exhortation to act here. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, it's, I exhort you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Like I just said, Paul is saying here, everything that's about to come, it's based on God's mercy. When he is saying, therefore, by the mercies of God, he's really just referring back to everything he's already said about the gospel in the last 11 chapters of this book. It's how this conversation comes completely from the wonders of God's salvation for us. Because of all of that, Paul can call us to act. But again, it isn't only the mercies of God in the past. It's God's mercy now that will make it possible to act and live out this call. And that's a very good thing, because we explore into this, we see this call is not a small thing by any means. So it's by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is one of those verses that for many of us can be so familiar, maybe just sound so amazing, that it can be a bit easy to miss just how important and really challenging this call for our lives is. Uh, I've really enjoyed getting to break it down a bit, so let's do that. First, um, we are called to present or to offer our bodies to God. Now, I want to be clear here. When Paul says that we're offering our bodies, the idea isn't just limited to our physical selves, as if we could just give the physical part of ourselves to God while like keeping the rest for ourselves in some way. The idea is we're giving our whole selves to God. It's our body. It's our life in our body, what we do in our bodies. It's our thoughts, feelings that I have inside, all of it, all of me, all that I can do, I am called to offer to God, and I'm offering it to him as a sacrifice. Even as Paul says sacrifice, certainly what is on his mind here are those animal sacrifices we might know of from the law of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, there can be a lot of connections there that we might be able to explore between those animal sacrifices and the sacrifice that we are called to. But the biggest one, I think, is the completeness, the totality of the sacrifice. When you think about an animal sacrifice, that animal was offered, was totally given over for sacrifice. Yes, it was killed, um, but even more, you couldn't just offer part of an animal for sacrifice. You gave the whole thing. The whole animal wasn't always burned, but it was always given fully over as an act of worship. That's the idea here. We present our whole selves to God completely, utterly, without holding anything in reserve, without keeping something back for ourselves. Of course, the big change here from those animal sacrifices is that we are not killed. We are a living sacrifice. This is an ongoing thing. It's not one and done. It is something that we can offer to God daily, maybe hourly, minute by minute. This is a call to be constantly offering ourselves up to him. And Paul adds to that idea that this sacrifice we're making, it should be holy and acceptable. These are actually key ways of talking about Old Testament sacrifices that he's bringing over to us now. That our sacrifice be holy means it has to be set apart for God. It must be set apart from the corruption and sin of this world and offered to God. Our sacrifice in turning to God, it must be a turning away from sin and death. We can't reserve any part of ourselves for ourselves or for anything else. 
We can't give ourselves to God and to something else. We can't hold back and hold on to some of our favorite sins. This sacrifice we are called to is a turning from sin and giving our whole selves over to God. And this is holy. And this holy sacrifice is then acceptable to God. I'll be honest, though, and say that acceptable is such a bland word. I think it makes this whole thing feel way too perfunctory. You know, I hear acceptable and I think of getting the assignment back, and if all it says on top is acceptable, I mean, it means you kind of just scraped by, right? You just made it, it's fine, right? I don't think that's enough of the idea that's really present here in this text. I actually like how other translations say this holy sacrifice is pleasing to God. That helps me see that this isn't just checking something off of a list. This is something that God notices. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God pleases him. That means it makes him happy. It gives him delight. That's amazing to me. That giving myself can please the eternal, all-powerful creator. I want to try to do that. I would like to please him. Finally, at the end of verse 1, Paul kind of summarizes, sums up everything he's saying um, by saying that all of this together, this living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, holy and pleasing, this is our spiritual worship. That's Paul's way of talking about true worship, worship that is more than just going through the motions. It involves our whole selves. Um, It's also his way of talking about the worship that God wants, that he wants this worship of our whole selves. And it is a worship that can happen all the time anywhere, moment by moment, as we are giving ourselves over to God. As we think about this, I I find it can be a little hard to think about a specific, simple example of what any of this might look like in our lives. Living our whole lives as worship and sacrifice can look like so many things. Paul does give us a nice example coming up in a few verses we'll come back to. But personally, I find it's even just a nice habit to start my day out in prayer. And in that prayer, try to, anyway, offer myself up to God in some way. But of course, then that needs to be followed up throughout the day in so many possible ways. Some can seem very small, like maybe it's just putting my phone away early or praying more often. Some things can become enormous, like maybe it's taking the first steps to forgive or making that career change you're wondering about. None of this, of course, is necessarily easy. But again, it is something, it is not something that we do alone, but by the mercies of God I find it really helpful to remember that one of those great mercies is that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. So even this moment-by-moment sacrifice that we are called to is empowered and led by the Holy Spirit within us. Moving to verse 2, God, through Paul, calls us to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Being conformed to this world, it means having our minds and our characters shaped by the things of this world, those things that are without God. So things like fear or greed, selfishness, or our lusts. It's being defined by anything or everything except God. I even think uh, conformed comes with a, a real feeling of like restrictiveness, doesn't it? There's just an idea here that as we're conformed to the world, when we're shaped by these things without God, we're actually being forced into something less than we were ever made to be. And as Paul is saying we shouldn't be conformed, he actually means that in the broadest possible way. He means you might be actively pursuing conformity in some way. He, might, he means maybe you're just being so passive that you're being changed by your inactivity, You are being twisted and turned, letting this world form us. It's meant as a broad idea. Just in some way, you are being changed by the world. 
No matter how that might be, though, we're just not meant to, be to give up control to this world to shape us like this. Being conformed to the world is always harmful. It's always uh, a step to being less than we ought to be, whether we're actively pursuing it or just sort of letting it happen to us. And instead, we should be transformed, which compared to conformed immediately feels like such a vibrant, powerful word. Being transformed is the bigger, better thing here. And very importantly, being transformed is not something we do. The idea here, the words that Paul is using are actually very passive. We do not transform ourselves. We are not transformed by our work and desires. We aren't the primary workers of this. God is. In this case, the way this transformation is happening is through, Paul says, the renewal of our minds. The way we think, the morals we have, they must be renewed. Those things that guide our lives in this world are challenged. Our goals and desires shift as we turn and focus in new ways on God, on his goodness, his mercy, his glory. And this is something that we can think about. How do I participate in that? Well, we actually can choose what we're thinking about in many, many times. We can choose where to focus our attention. We can shape our view of what is good, beautiful, worthy. But even that, at the same time, this is never merely a mental exercise. It's by God's power that we're ever truly freed from the ways of this world. And for Paul in this, in this uh, Romans reading, this transformation by the renewal of our minds, it means at least one really important thing. It means that we begin to understand and approve of the will of God. That might feel a little strong in some ways, but that's what's going on. He talks about testing. Testing comes with the idea of something passing the test, something being found good. Now, of course, the will of God is always good, but if we're honest, maybe it doesn't always feel that way. And certainly without God, we are not fans of God's plans and his work. So the idea here is just that as we are changed by God's work, as our minds are being renewed, we begin to recognize God at work and be glad in what he does. We see more and more that God's will is good, well-pleasing, perfect, and we submit to him. This can look like a growing faith that God is always with you regardless of your struggles. It might look like even in those hardest times, looking for and embracing the things you're learning about God, that he's teaching you about yourself it's that growing faith and sense that no matter what, God always does what is good and right, whether or not we see it, but we look for it and try to understand it regardless. As I was talking with my wife Liz about this passage this week, um, we landed a bit on the idea of being transformed. Um, being transformed sounds so dramatic or sudden in so many ways, doesn't it? I grew up playing with Transformers. My kids do. Transformers, you know, the whole point is they shift fast, and that's what makes them awesome. They're a sudden transformation. Liz pointed out, of course, this transformation isn't necessarily something that's quick or seemingly quick at all. It can be a whole life process. Um, Liz was talking with me about something that helped her as she was thinking about this. She brought up the, the ship of Theseus problem. I'll explain it for a second. My family was briefly discussing this recently. It's actually an ancient uh, thought experiment. The question goes that imagine this famous ship originally piloted by Theseus, as they would say. And if this ship was kept for centuries, but during that time it was slowly maintained and repaired, boards replaced, until eventually all the boards have been replaced, the question is, is it still the ship of Theseus? We can answer that question another time. That's not the point. Uh, I'm on board with it is the ship of Theseus. But for Liz and for us, the point that we're bringing this up is there are just so many ways that our transformation can and will seem very slow. 
just a board being replaced here or there. But given time, those slow changes really stack up until we can be completely different people. At the very least, we will be people with so much less of that sin and death hindering us, struggling with, um, and so much more people of the goodness of God is just pouring out of us. God is faithful to us. His transformation will continue. We are being renewed in ways small and quite large, even if it's hard to see sometimes. So these first two verses are, are the foundational exhortation for really the rest of Romans, but even this passage we have in front of us. Everything's flowing from them. So as we move to these next verses, three to eight, we can be thinking, all right, if I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice, if I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind, what, what does it look like? Well, here it looks like thinking rightly about ourselves, acting rightly in service of others. So in these last verses, we get to a point where Paul is talking about gifts, and we might be drawn immediately to verses 6 to 8 where those gifts are. It's actually not Paul's main point. The main goal comes right away when he says that we need to not think too highly of ourselves and instead consider ourselves with sober judgment. Maybe this doesn't feel like a challenge for all of you, but Paul has some good experience with at least some who, when they think about their own gifts and strengths, they might start to be a bit puffed up, a bit too certain of their own key role in God's work in his church. And though he doesn't bring it up here, like he does in other passages, um, there is another concern here, kind of the opposite concern, that some of us may think far too little of our abilities, look down on what we can offer the church. And Paul's answer to this is simply that these strengths you have are not your own. Each have the faith God assigned and gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. Now, Paul doesn't mean that some of us have more of God's saving grace than others, but it is by God's grace at all that we have any gifts. It's his work, unique in each of us, that equips us with the strengths, abilities, gifts that we have that we can use. And on top of that, these gifts come with a central purpose, to be used for each other in the church. We're all part of the same body, even members of one another. So what I do with the gifts God has given me by his grace, it's meant to be for the body as a whole. It's meant to be for the church around me. We are part of each other. I must not ignore you because I'm just so satisfied in what I can do. You must not leave aside your gifts because they seem too simple. We need each other and the unique grace that God has given each of us. So we look at verses 6 to 8. We're not going to go through each gift individually. I'll just say two quick things. Uh, the first thing is actually a side point, but I think it's helpful for you, for us in general. It's helpful for me. Um, this list is not exhaustive. It's not meant to contain all the gifts that God can give. None of the biblical lists are meant to be exhaustive in that way. So if you spend time looking at this here, let it be something that is an encouragement to you to have conversation with God about the ways he has strengthened you um, and the ways that you can serve this body, the way you've been made to serve in the body. Don't look at these seven things and wonder if you're missing something. Uh, second, though, and more back to the point, as Paul talks about thinking rightly about ourselves and serving each other rightly, um, his emphasis on each of these gifts is just that we offer ourselves, offer our gifts as best we can, as completely as we can. In this encouragement to offer ourselves and our gifts to the body of Christ, to do the best we can with what God has equipped us to be, um, that fits so well with that opening challenge to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. This is one way we do so by offering ourselves to Christ's body. It's not something different from that. It's just a very specific way that we are living out being a sacrifice for God. And maybe, may I say conveniently, 
the ministry year is starting here at Church of the Cross. There are lots of ways you can be involved around um, church and you can use your gifts for us. We even have little handouts in the back that would give you some specific ideas if you're wondering. So yesterday afternoon, my wife uh, said something else that really helped me thinking about this sermon. She did so very much by accident. Um, She was trying to make a joke about how being a living sacrifice isn't like being the living dead, like a zombie. And then Liz was like, that's not funny, don't use that. And I said, but I think you're on to something. These exhortations are, are really big. They impact our whole lives, and they can feel overwhelming if we're approaching them in the wrong way. We could feel a bit like this life we're being called to isn't much better than death. That's why I want us to remember so much that this is not just our work. It is God's ongoing work in us. That helps me. I know it might be hard. It's never impossible. But still, offering ourselves over and over as a sacrifice that doesn't necessarily always sound enjoyable or life-giving. It sounds hard. It can weigh on us a little bit. What, what are we called to give up? What are we called to turn away from? What is this going to look like next? But of course, as we think about that feeling of what are we turning away from, we do have to remember what we are turning ourselves to in all of this. I was really glad for our gospel passage today. It matches this challenge so well. As Jesus tells us that if any of us would follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. It's only in losing our life that we'll find it. And we know that Jesus, of course, did all of this. He left his father's side and became human like us in order to suffer and die on the cross. He did all of that really hard stuff that we are called to. He did it so much more than we ever have to. But it's not just about that hard stuff. There's the flip side. I love in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus did all of this for the joy that was set before him. Jesus knew so much hardship and pain. He gave up everything for us, but it was for joy. And that joy isn't just for him. It is a joy we will all ultimately have. And it's also one we glimpse so regularly now. There is a great joy in seeing our gifts at work for others. There is joy in seeing, even slowly, the transformation that God works as we learn to live, to love and delight in what is truly good. There is a deep and lasting joy in knowing that my attempts to offer myself to God actually please Him. So this life can be hard, but is full of so much goodness. Let's pray. Father, we we are so thankful for your gospel. We are so thankful for the good news of Jesus that we are saved and that you are still at work in us, that you will see us transformed and renewed um, and that you help us. I ask that you um, daily help us more and more, moment by moment, to offer ourselves to you, that you give us a vision for that looks like each of us individually, um, that we and the world around us can see you in and through us. Amen.